like high adventure, come with me. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Blind Spots Podcast with your host, Pastor Roto Bernalis and Corey Williams. This podcast is dedicated to helping First Baptist Church of the Lakes in Las Vegas, Nevada, identify its spiritual blind spots in order to more faithfully follow Jesus Christ. So, Pastor Rolo, today's episode is about your email. Yes, it's true, but that's technically not my email. And this is a special episode because this is the birthday edition. The Corey Williams birthday <laughs> edition of a special episode of Blind Spots. I appreciate it's it. It's his birthday today, folks. And so, happy birthday, brother. Thank you. I appreciate it, brother. Yeah, so your email, don't try to get off the hook. This is about, not about my birthday, it's about your email. Actually, it was an email that I received from Ronnie Floyd, uh, the SBC Executive Committee, and it had his name on it in the subject of this email was a statistical analysis of growth in the SBC congregation by race and ethnicity from 1990 to 2018. So that's many years of data that's been collected, but anything that has race and ethnicity, you have my attention, you have my ears. <laughs> and so this was dated in early December of this year, 2020. And what Ronnie Floyd is basically saying is, uh, we should be encouraged. If you are part of the Southern Baptist Convention and you are a pastor and you're involved, be encouraged with all of this statistical data. So here are some of the numbers that they uh, put in their report. Uh, according to this report, as of 2018, there were 14,000, I'm 14 sorry, million. 14 million, yeah, 14 million, 813,206 official members. Exactly. Yeah, how did they do that? That's yeah, pretty go amazing. Ahead. No, go ahead. Within the SBC churches uh, nationwide. And out of that uh, information, there was a great increase in the African-American congregation by 289%, followed by Asian-American at 222%, which shows us, according to this data, that there's a great increase in the minority demographic. So what that but what that could mean though is in there was one black congregation and now there's three. <laughs> so but that's to possible. be fair, no 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 but to be fair it, that's not what it is. That's that's it, possible but I don't think that's <laughs> no, what they were talking about. No, there is a 300% increase in African American congregations in in a almost 225% increase in Asian American congregations. So according to Ronnie Floyd in this email that we should be encouraged by this. Yeah. This is what he's saying. And he's representing the executive committee and he's trying to encourage those within the convention. Now, when I saw the email and I read it, it also had a very, very interesting number that I saw from the years of 1990 to 2018. While there was a 300% increase in African-American congregations and a 200, almost 225% increase in Asian-American congregations. There was a drop of the number of Anglo members by almost 900,000. Yeah. Now, that doesn't sound, that doesn't look like an encouraging number to me. That, I mean, honestly, what it looks like to me is a couple different things. It could look like 
because you have this big, huge increase in minorities, you got Anglos leaving. It could look like it, that. It could, it could look like that, and but it, is that true? I don't know. But, that, but I'm just saying, according to his email, we should be encouraged. That doesn't, that's not an encouraging statistic. No. To have almost a million Anglo brothers and sisters leave the convention, that's discouraging to me. Yeah, no. It will and be, it doesn't matter what race or ethnicity you are. Right. When you have that large of a number of uh, people leaving, that's not encouraging well, at given, all. Well, given the, the, the climate that our nation is in right now as it regards to race and different things like that, that number is going to make some people think, immediately look at that number and think, because you have this increase in minorities, you have what, what some people would label as white flight. Or you got the SBC has gotten out of the business of saving white folks. That's possible. <laughs> Neither one of those are good. Right. So just a, just a transition here is, is that according to Ronnie Floyd's email, we should be encouraged. Yes, but I want to challenge that. Uh, I, I am not encouraged in, that, in those statistics. Why? Because we don't really know the real numbers. Because if FB, SBC churches were practicing two things, regenerate church membership and biblical church discipline, I believe that the numbers would be much lower. And so we don't really know what the true number is. I mean, there's a lot of data here. There's a lot of st statistical information here. But should we really be encouraged by this? Um, I say no, because I think that the information is not the right kind of information. Okay, so then why don't tell us why you think that? Because every year as an SBC church, we receive what's called an ACP, an annual church profile. And in this annual church profile, uh, it's multiple pages, and they're asking every individual church within the denomination, please report your numbers. So for example, how many professions of faith? How many were baptized? Uh, how, many, how much money was given to the denomination? So there's this statistical data, uh, and I understand that they want to track numbers because in one sense, numbers is a sign of growth. But I'm, I want to challenge this email. Uh, I don't think it's the best form or best way to track growth within a church. So basically you're saying that the, the, the data collection or the, the, the way that the SBC is collecting this information is just flawed to begin with. Yes, I think that in the 1950s, corporate America came into the denomination and said, uh, we can help the church become more efficient and more effective by being more corporate, right? It's numbers, numbers, numbers. Let's track the numbers. I don't think that's the best way. I don't think that's what the Bible says. And so they're not asking the right questions. Why? Because it's simply based on numbers, not spiritual health. Again, I am dealing or contending with the spiritual aspect of these numbers. So it doesn't ask how many disciples did your church make? What does the, what does the Great Commission say in Matthew 28? Go and make disciples of all the nations. The only way you can disciple others is if they are Christian. So the ACP basically is just 
is it the pastor filling out the ACP? That can anybody in the like the church like who like where is this? So this information is just being mailed, but it's just a form that's being mailed to the churches. Yes, it's like a five or ten page questionnaire. That's what it really is. Somebody fills it out. Sends and it, back. it could be a pastor or his designated representative, and it just tracks all the numbers uh, within the church for the last twelve months. So and all so this data is collected at the denominational level, and then that's how they come up with this type of report. So when they say an increase in the numbers, is that's based on baptisms? It could be baptisms, professions of faith, money given, uh, a variety of those things. But I don't believe they're asking the right questions. That's my contention. Now, earlier you said something, you said something that I thought was real interesting. You said that these numbers... If the if the S, if more SBC churches were practicing regenerate church membership and biblical church discipline, that the numbers would drop drastically. So, how would regenerate church membership change these numbers? Well, I think the first question we have to ask ourselves is, what does the Bible say? Okay. So, according to Matthew sixteen, Peter's having a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus asks Peter, "Who do people say that the Son of Man is?" And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Jesus asked Peter again, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter has a very interesting reply here. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's a good profession. Right. Amen. And that's what we should strive for or aim for. But here's the key in verse 17, and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So biblical truth ultimately comes from God himself to the individual. And so, yes, Peter makes a good confession. It's a biblical confession. Uh, but God is the one who revealed to Peter that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I think a lot of the professions that we have are sincere. I think they're genuine, right? But are they born again? John chapter 3, right? Unless they're born again, they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, nor see the kingdom of heaven. Really, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. So a good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. Every bad tree is cut down and thrown into the fire. I think that we are too quick to report numbers, too quick to get a profession of faith and mark off on the checklist that, you know, we've done our job. But I would say we have not done our job. We're to make disciples, not make simply professions. So, okay, I'm going to give you a little pushback here. Okay. So who are you to say if a confession is credible or whether or not a person is actually a member of the church or not? Well, we don't have ultimate knowledge, right? Only God does. But God does give us His Word. God gives us His Spirit. And the two work together. The Spirit and the Word work together. So as it relates to regenerate church membership, hey, I'm all about people coming to know Jesus. But if we're just trying to report data and numbers and information, I've got a problem with that. We're to make disciples, and so it takes time, right? If they make a reliable profession of faith, the church is responsible to make sure this individual understands 
the gospel, the biblical gospel, who God is. He's holy. That mankind is sinful. That Jesus Christ is the only Savior, the only mediator between God and man. That we are to rely upon his person and his work on behalf of sinners. Right? And so I think that many times we quickly rush off to report numbers, but are we actually following Matthew 28? Are we making disciples? You can only disciples those, disciple those who are born again. You can't disciple the dead, spiritually dead. What the spiritually dead need is the gospel, right? They need to be saved. So once a person becomes saved, we have a responsibility to disciple them in the things of Christ, in the ways of the Lord. And so I don't think the ACP, the annual church profile, is actually asking the right questions, mainly in the spiritual realm. Now, the, this passage that you quoted in Matthew 16 about Peter's confession, it's interesting. If you keep reading it here, what Jesus does, he says, in response to Peter's confession, he says, I will give you, he says, first he says, in verse 18, he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I already know, it's a, depending on what stream of Christianity you come from, mm-hmm. you're going to interpret binding and loosing some probably different. But one thing that we can say is, is that some level of authority here has been given to the Peter Correct. and the church. Now, to Peter and to, the, and to the apostles and to the New Testament church. To the New Testament church. Now, if you bounce over to, to Matthew 18, 15, again, you see this language that Jesus is talking about binding and loosing in the context of church discipline. That's right. You hear here, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take two or take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. To the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Here we go. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Same language. So here we go. The same language again. So whatever binding and loosing is, in this context, it has to do with marking out an individual who claims to be a disciple or a believer who's not obeying the law of God, and now they have been excommunicated and marked out as not a believer anymore. That's So right. binding and loosing in this context, the church has the right and the authority to determine who's a hypocrite and who has an authentic, biblical, and right profession of faith. So in this context, binding and loosing can't mean anything else other than that. Unless you listen to some crazy yeah, people out there. That's a whole other conversation, though. That's right. That's a different episode. That's right. But the point here is, is that the church here, by Jesus Christ himself, have been given the authority to mark out hypocrites. That's right. In the form of excommunication. In the form of excommunication. You, the church has that authority to do that. 
So when we talk about regenerate church membership, the first question we got to ask, because most people nowadays will tell you that I make a profession of faith, I say it, I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. The church doesn't have the right or the authority to say if I'm a part of the church or not. That's what most people will tell you. Yep. But That's here, according, popular. Yeah, according to Scripture, though, no, that, that authority lies with the church. Not the pastor. No, yeah, the church collectively. Now, the other thing that's interesting about this is when Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, you're supposed to go to him privately. If he doesn't listen to you, well, first of all, the whole goal is to win you back. That is the goal. That's the goal, to win you Reconciliation. back. Reconciliation. Reconciliation is the goal. Nevertheless, you go, they don't listen, you take two or more, and then you tell it to the church. Here's my question. How do you distinguish who's a part of the church and who isn't? Because I'm right. not supposed to go tell everybody. I'm, I'm supposed to go tell the church. Are you saying that we can't go grab the guy jogging down the street no, on you the shouldn't. side of the, Absolutely not. the church and say, hey, we want to pull you into a very important meeting. No. And so, just grab some random Joe right. off the street. So just by virtue, just, the implication of this text is, is that there are some people who are in and who are out. That's correct. Right? Just right off the bat, there are some who are in and who are out. And then if you talk Acts chapter 9, when Paul... The Lord uh, knocks Paul down. Paul goes. He tries to join himself to the church at Jerusalem. And they didn't let him in. They pushed back. They pushed. They were like, they didn't know if he had a credible confession of faith because of all of his previous acts and his persecution, uh, uh, his persecuting the church. Now he all of a sudden out of nowhere is like, hey, I'm a believer now. They didn't just immediately just welcome him in. They were like, no, 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 yeah. no. Barnabas had to step Man, in. We need to, we need to make sure that he has a legitimate, credible confession of faith, and this is real. So here we see the church have the authority to mark out those who are hypocrites. The church has the authority to bind and loose according to Jesus' own words. And whatever the church does, according to Scripture, God is going to recognize that in heaven. Then you got Acts chapter 9 where Paul tried to join himself, and they don't just automatically sing Kumbaya and let him in. You know, they, they, we got to determine if this is really a believer. That's right. Okay, you got that going on. And then Matt, the, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, go ye therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to oh, obey yeah. all that oh. I have commanded. So when we talk about disciples, so here we got all these Bible verses. Oh, and not to mention the fact in Acts, when there was a dispute, what is it, Acts 6? There's a dispute between the Hellenistic Jews, the Hellenistic Jews, and the Greek Jews about the daily distribution of the widows, and then they go and they pick basically what is uh, equivalent to a deacon to distribute this food. Now we know from reading the Bible in Acts chapter two, it was at least a minimum of three thousand people part of that church at that point. Men were counted. Right. Tell me how it's possible for you to have a daily distribution of food know who the widows are among 3,000 people without a list. Yes, I would. It's just I, not possible. I would argue that the early church is sophisticated. Okay, so that being the case, all that being said, basically what we're saying here is, is that the church has the authority to mark out who's a hypocrite. To receive. To receive who's a believer. And to excommunicate. And to excommunicate. The Jesus Christ himself has given the church that authority. And if you start getting into 
the pastoral epistles where you talk about um, the requirements of a pastor, well, where is that supposed to happen? Like, who's supposed to validate that? Who's supposed to validate if the pastor actually meets those qualifications? The church. The church. That's right. The church is supposed to do that. And then there's just some other, when you just keep reading scripture, there's some other assumptions that are being made. For example, when, um, uh, I believe it's Hebrews 13, when it, that don't, for, don't um, forsake yourself, don't forsake the assembly. That's Hebrews 10.25. Yeah, I'm sorry, Hebrews 10.25. So the assumption there is, is that there is an assembly. And they're physically meeting. And they're physically meeting together, Right. And then also, I'm sorry, Hebrew 13 is where you take to, to, to submit to your leaders. Submit to your elders. Hebrews submit 13, to your elders. 17. Okay, so when we take all this biblical information, we put it together. A church is, there's, gonna, there's a leader, right? They're gathering physically together. Mm -hmm. I can distinguish them from a non-believer and a believer. Christ has given the, the authority to receive those people who claim that confession to baptize them publicly to excommunicate people who are hypocrites. Yeah, meaning they're sinning. They're sinning. To if, we, if the church follows the biblical mandated authorization and the steps to excommunicate, then the church has the authority to say who's in and who's out. And the church, according to Acts chapter 9, has the ability to determine if a person is given a credible confession of faith and to allow them to join with the disciples. So if the convention would actually practice regenerate church membership and biblical church discipline, that number of 14 million people, members, would be a lot less. It's not a popular idea for sure. Why? Because God is love, right? But <laughs> that, I mean, that's, I mean that, that's the mindset. God is love. Like, who are we to judge? But the fact of the matter is the Lord gives us in His Word the actual stipulations for receiving and dismissing members. And we're to not judge in a mean, vindictive way, but we're to examine ourselves and see if we're in the faith. Right. Right? And we can do that in a loving, gracious, biblical way. Well, you ought way. to do that. Right. It's so, loving to, it's actually, I would, I would say that it's unloving to allow a person to be deceived in believing that they actually are a believer if they're not. Let me ask you this. You have children, right? Yes. So if your children... Lots of children. Amen. <laughs> I've got the 13th tribe. You've got the 14th tribe, right? So if, if you see your son, Josiah, acting up in public or in private, you tell him, don't do this, and he does it, is it loving or not loving to discipline him? Absolutely. I mean, I don't, okay, so there's this misconception of love that the world has that's just completely unbiblical. So now, obviously, we... We can talk about this for hours, but it seems to me that the world's conception of love is just, I just accept everything that Ego, you do. Egocentric. Yeah, I just accept anything that you do, anything that you say, and it just completely goes, right? So I think what that does is, is that that gives like a mis, mischaracterization of church membership and church discipline. Like what's the role of it, how it should be done. Now, to be fair, there has been some abuses over the years. People have excommunicated people hypocritically. People that shouldn't have been excommunicated have been excommunicated. People who should have been disciplined mm. haven't been disciplined. You got pastors who've been 
cheating around on their wives and doing all kind of, you know, what was it, last year they had all the sexual abuse scandal and all that stuff. There was a lot of things that sh should have been done that were not done. But I would contend to you, I would contend and say that the reason that it's so, so scandalous is because those churches were not doing it the way the Bible says. Now, the, the proper response is to do what the Bible says, not to just throw the whole thing out. That's right. The, the right response is to do it the right way. So you got one group of people who completely jettisoned the whole thing and said it's unloving and do it at all. You got another group of people who are just completely doing it unbiblically and doing it wrong. And the answer is not to get rid of it. The answer is to do it the right way. That's right. I want to I wanna read something from a book entitled Democratic Religion. So we talked about it biblically and wholeheartedly agree. The author is Gregory Wills. This was written in 1997. So it talks about, within the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, freedom, authority, and church discipline in the Baptist South. Uh, but it has a very interesting quote. He's quoting John L. Dagg, uh, Baptist theologian. And he says this, When discipline leaves a church, Christ goes with it. Right? As God's people, we're to be holy. But for... Uh, some strange reason, we are more concerned about loving others, loving our neighbors, and not loving Christ and His Word now by me, obeying it. Now, let me ask you this. Church discipline, Matthew 18, that verse that talks about church discipline, I would say to you that it assumes that we're talking about a local congregation. Correct. So, given the age that we're in, internet age, and we have automobiles, and we can just get up and we can watch a service across town or across the country or if we don't want to this morning we don't want to go to our church we want to get in our car and drive across town and go to another service like we have the ability to do that right but I think the the New Testament doesn't make that type of assumption that that's what's going on so when we talk about church discipline we're talking about disciplining the people that we're in fellowship with that's right I cannot discipline nor can we discipline individuals that are attending other churches. This is a local church affair. This is a family affair at the local church level. We can't discipline others at other churches. They're under the pastoral charge of another pastor or individual in that office. And that church, that pastor, that particular set of elders or elder at that church, they have been given charge over and care over that individual soul. And they, that individual pastor has to stand and give an account to God for the, the pastoral care and shepherding of that individual person. That's right. Now, my question is, how are they supposed to do that if they haven't agreed to be a part of that membership, be a part of that church? If they haven't agreed, hey, okay, I'm going to be a part of this group. You can call it membership. Use whatever word you want. But if you haven't made some kind of an agreement, an arrangement to say, hey, look, I'm going to join myself to you. I'm going to submit to the pastoral leadership over at this church. Like, you don't have to use the word member, but that's what that is. Right. You're, being, you're being marked out and designated as different from the rest of the city, the people around you, and your neighbors as a part of this group. You're one of these disciples that 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 particular pastor is going to have to stand up and give an account to God for how he managed the care of your soul. How is he supposed to do that 
if you haven't agreed to let him do that? Yes, so that's an important question. I know that question is debatable. Uh, some pastors take the position that I won't uh, recommend excommunication to the church because why this individual is not an official part of this church. Uh, therefore, you can't do anything. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because when an individual says, I am a Christian, what they're saying is, I am a follower of Christ. I'm a disciple of Christ. I believe in Christ. So we need to look at things um, in a way that's going to best help this individual's soul for the long run, not only today, but also into the future. So if we see someone in a fire, are we going to pull them out of the fire? Are we going to snatch them out of the fire? I think we have a responsibility to snatch them out of the fire. If they say, I'm a Christian, and they're sleeping around on their wives, committing adultery all over the place, are we going to just say, oh, well, he made a reliable profession of faith. But because he's not an official member of the church, there was nothing formally done, we're just going to not excommunicate him. I think we need to go to this person out of love for the person, but more a love for Christ and say, what you're doing is wrong. You made a profession of faith. You say you're a follower of Christ, but you're living in sin. And this dishonors the Lord. This displeases the Lord. And you're hurting your family in the process. And guess what? We're calling you to repentance. We're calling you to repent. Make things right. Go back to your wife. We owe that to the Lord. We owe that to this individual. Uh, and yes, and, maybe, if they, and if they listen. And if we've won our brother. That's it. No we've, gossip. No, yeah, at the lower levels, that's yeah. right. We no don't talk about it. You don't go telling the rest of the church yeah. or anybody no else. social it's, media. It's, it's done. It's done. Yeah. yeah, assuming he repents. Assuming that he comes repentant, right? Um, and so he's broken. He wants to come back. We welcome that individual back, assuming they want to live for Christ and make things right by living a holy life that pleases the Lord. Being a godly husband, godly father, whoever this individual is, right? right? So I think at the end of the day, this statistic and this report from the SBC ex executive committee uh, regarding racial diversity, I know they're trying to encourage us, but I'm not encouraged. I think that the ACP annual church profile is asking the wrong questions. We're, we need to ask more spiritual questions. We're called to make disciples. You know, we could continue this conversation on and on. I mean, we, we didn't even touch the number of scriptures that we could have got to as it relates to church membership. I do want to say, though, that for those that are listening who you're not going to find a Bible verse that says you need to be a church member. No, it no. won't be explicit, won't but be there explicit. are principles in there. Yeah, there are absolutely principles in there that say you need to be submitted to a pastor. You need to be submitted to church leadership. You need to be attending mm -hmm. that, according to Titus, that a church is not in order absent a pastor, that the deacons and the elders in churches, the qualifications for them to hold those positions have to be vetted by the church. The church has to know, is this man a credible, that he has given a credible confession of faith? Is he a believer? Does he, does he have one wife? Like the church has to know that he meets these qualifications. So he has to be in fellowship with a group of Christians who can validate that. 
In order to qualify biblically, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, the best environment and venue is the local church. Right. So I would, I would say that I don't think, how is it possible for you to determine if a man meets those qualification, qualifications for deacon or elder if he's not a member of the church? How can you know? There's no way for you to know that. No. And that's an issue. So then, that, I mean, though, then you got Matthew 18 when you talk about church discipline. We're supposed to take people to the church. And there's a distinction that's being made according to the authority given to the church by Jesus. There's a distinction that can be made between those who have been marked off as believers and those who haven't. There's a, a, a distinction. In, and when we talked about Acts, when Paul went to join himself and they didn't just immediately accept him, they had to determine first whether or not he had a credible confession. I mean, there's a ton of, now there's, like I said, there's no scripture that explicitly says you need to be a church member, but when you start adding up all the data, there's clearly local churches meeting together under pastoral leadership that has been, there's a, a, a real determination that has been made between who's in and who's out. And this is God's ways. And Jesus Christ himself has given the church the authority to do that. Now, you don't have to use the word membership, but that sounds like a club or a membership to me. Well, this is not a Costco membership, Sam's <laughs> Club's a membership, health club membership. But the membership or whatever word you want to use, at the end of the day, there's some sort of formal commitment. Yeah, you are part of a group that is distinguished from the rest of the world locally. Correct. Under pastoral leadership, and they have validated that you have a credible confession of faith and that you are currently walking in obedience to the word of God. Exactly. And, and then, I, if you go any further in Jude, he says in Jude verse 3, he says, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary writing to you to appeal to you to contend for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's telling us to contend against who? Contend against those people who have crept into the church and are perverting the gospel. Well, who's supposed to be doing that? The church. Yeah. Members of the church are supposed to be, they have the authority and have, have the orders by the word of God to determine who's a hypocrite, who has a credible confession of faith, and who's perverting the gospel. That God has given us that authority. And I just want to reiterate for our audience that I'm challenging the numbers based on how they collect the data. So, I simply think they're asking the wrong questions. So you're not saying we shouldn't, like, this has nothing to do with the racial diversity. It has nothing to do with racial diversity. It has everything to do with God's word and discipleship in general. Interesting. Well, you know, I agree with you. <laughs> That's rare. <laughs> you know, you write every now and again. Hey, <laughs> the clock's usually right twice a day. Yeah, yeah. That's what they say. Yeah. All right. So we'd like to thank everybody that's listening or tuning into this episode of Blind Spots. Hopefully, you know, you were blessed by this and you got a lot of good information. Down at the bottom, there's a link to our website at the church if you want to see more sermons or if you want to contact us regarding 
biblical church membership or you don't have a church here in Las Vegas, you can come join us. Thank you. We appreciate you listening.